Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey guys, Lars Lindstrom here. Welcome back to Creative Income. I'm incredibly excited for today's episode. I've known JP for about 10 years uh, as a photographer, as a videographer, as a mentor, as a businessman. He's a phenomenal person. On a side note, I just want to take a moment and say thank you so much. We actually just passed 200 downloads in the first two weeks of uh, the podcast. I don't know if that's good or bad. Everything I've read said we're in the top uh, 20% of podcasts so far in the first two weeks. It doesn't seem real or anything to me. 200 doesn't seem like a ton. Uh, I would love to quadruple that before the end of the month. So I would love 1,000 downloads before the end of the month, which means we got to share. We got to share it. If you know any creatives in in your industry, creatives in your social network, your circle, uh, reach out to them. Tell them about this podcast. Really what we're trying to do is build financial education in the creative space. So if you're a painter, you want to learn to make more money, we'll have painters on. If you're a photographer, like today, this is going to be very beneficial for you. Uh, some of the things JP talks about were are just blow your mind. He created a calendar back in the 90s, sent it to 5,000 different art directors, and uh, created revenue almost immediately from doing that. I mean, it's just like you'll, you'll get more info in the uh, actual podcast, but the type of mind that some of these people have that we're interviewing are just different. And I'm hoping that it sparks your interest, sparks your creativity uh, in the financial sense and and builds that community and education. Uh, what else? How are we doing? You know, here's what I want you to do. If you get any inkling of value from the podcast, I want you to go on iTunes or Google or Spotify, wherever you're getting your podcast, I want you to rate it and give it a review. Could be something as simple as this was cool, uh, I learned something, um, or maybe you didn't. I don't know. Leave a review. I don't even care if it's five stars or not. If you don't think it's worthy of five stars, that's fine by me. I want like an honest review so that I can learn and, uh, and increase the value from the podcast for future episodes. Well, I think without further ado, let's get into it. JP Morgan, thank you so much for being here and doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. It's great to be here, Lars. Absolutely. You know, I, I just, uh, I've known you for probably a little close to a decade now, right? We, we met, uh, probably back in 2012. Yeah. I, I remember seeing the glide cam work you did and I was so impressed. I'm going, I've got to work oh, with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> For those that don't know, glide cam is a little stabilizer. It was before actual stabilizers in, yeah. in video. And, uh, it was just a gimbal that like was not electronic at all. It was just a bunch of bearings. And uh, that was back in my wedding video days when I had to make things look smooth. It was uh, very yeah. quickly, but yeah, that's right. So, so tell tell us a little bit about what you do, uh, where you come from, and uh, we're all curious to hear. Okay, well, I first came to California way back in the '80s. I came to go to Art Center College of Design, and I was specializing in photography. So, I got a degree from Art Center in photography. And I left Art Center with a desire to do large set production photography. And back in the 80s, this is late 80s going into the 90s, they were building huge sets. Everything was done on stage. It was studio lighting. You know, I, it just large productions were not uncommon at all. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had started doing those kinds of large productions at Art Center. I built a two-story set uh, in the psych at Art Center. And 
And uh, even for Art Center, they were going, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> uh, but it's just, and my wife has helped me through this entire process. She would help get uh, props and style things. And and uh, it's just that process uh, started for me at Art Center. And so when I left Art Center, I thought, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to be an assistant for a year or so. And, and my wife, who was an art director, she was uh, working for an agency at the time. She goes, you should just start to shoot. You're ready. I'm going, I don't think I'm confident enough. I need to I need to go out and work as an assistant. So I went to a few photographers and one photographer looked at my portfolio and he goes, man, I want to hire you because I want to learn how to do this stuff. Uh oh. And I'm, <laughs> I went home that night to Julian. I'm going, he says he wants to learn how to do what I'm doing. And she goes, well, yeah, I've been telling you, it's time for you to do what you do. You're ready. <laughs> yeah, I was ready. I, yeah. I developed a style. It was kind of Norman Rockwell meets the far side. That was my yes. style. Yes. So it was this crazy big set kind of stuff, you know, kind of Norman Rockwellish in its approach, but then really became uh, twisted, you know, the far side. There's kind of a strangeness to it, which was always the the approach. But it was all very cartoony, all built sets, um, you know, over the top kind of caricatures of people. That was that was my style. That was what I did. I did that for fifteen, almost twenty years. Yeah, um, I, I actually should should mention that I I did know you before 10 years ago and oh, it did? was well yes just briefly my we i think you'll probably recall we did a, a family photo shoot on one of your sets and one of your stages uh when i was probably 14 years old okay i i, I don't know if you do remember that i do you know what i would i would build these sets and then i would at auctions you know for charities uh -huh. uh, give a family or someone the opportunity to come in and, and have their picture taken on one of these big sets when we'd do it and you're i remember that day so that. vividly man because we came in and it was a i think it was rainy day in paris or something yep. like that it was so it was a famous painting and you had you had painted a giant backdrop it could, probably was 20 by 30 backdrop it was massive yeah and uh, and then you had built a practical set in front of the backdrop that we as a family interacted in and we staged uh, our family to look like this famous painting ready day in Paris. And it's still on our wall, my parents wall at home. Is it? It's uh, oh, absolutely. It's our favorite. It's right when you walk in, it's the first thing you see. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's was, just a, a fascinating style. It was shot for cadence, which is a computer company. So just give you a concept of scale. That image would have probably been about 70 or $80,000 to, to set up. Wow. Uh, for for cadence, you know, and that includes everything, but not uncommon. We did some for them. We're like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You know, we, we did Edward Hopper's Nighthawks and we actually built the little restaurant corner, painted the yeah. backdrops. You know, we put computer people in them. Then I did a bunch of things with them, you know, afterwards. I mean, once I had the sets done, it was hard for me to walk away from them without, you know, without shooting a bunch of stuff for myself on them. I would yeah, it wasn't that your family photo was that Norman yeah. Rockwell painting? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I remember seeing that too. So, so times have changed. Yes, they have definitely changed. Well, I felt that one day an art director, I was bidding on a project and the art director says, you know, we're going with another person. You know, this is just not the style that's, that's uh, really our desire now. Um, it's too... It's too, uh, what's the word he said? Too staged. <laughs> and so I looked at this person I lost a job to, and I'm, I'm looked at the work and I'm going, oh, my word, it is so different than what I do. Yeah. And I realized at that point that the industry had just taken a right-hand turn, you know? And so, so there's a lot of, um, 
you know, I, and I've seen it even in my short career of probably eight years of, of adapt or die, right? And I and not so much that I've had to change styles, but I, I definitely have to switch directions depending on where my clients are going or, or where I'm going. So ha- have you noticed that a lot in your career? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was like the, this experience I have with that art director. That was the moment where I realized things had to change. Leslie Dector had grabbed a camera. He was a director and he had gone out and shot a Nike spot and it was not on sticks and it was jerky and it was crazy. and It was in your face and the light was bad, you know, with what compared to what we considered was good light. And yeah. that became the style. And it went away from this staged built controlled to a very fluid and we've continued down that road for some time now you know it's very open uh you know window light natural light more rough more you know and so i kind of at that point i had to go you know i had some really lean years in there some really lean years in there and uh i kind of switched in and started doing more film i started to shoot commercials uh in that process before before that did you start um Talk to me about some of the, the feast or famine mentalities of, of our industry and, and how to kind of cope with that stuff. So obviously you had some amazing years. You talked about a $150,000 photo shoot, you know, for a computer company. And I'm sure there were multiple that year. Talk to me about some of the, some of the good years versus the bad and what you were able to do to try and smooth that over. You know, I always work. We always had more than one stream of income coming in. Uh, we mm. realized very early on that stock photography was emerging you know, it used to be stock photography was really bad pictures of really dumb things, you know, that, but then all of a sudden stock photography started to look a little more, uh, advertising. It looked a little more polished. And so we created a catalog. We printed up a catalog of all of our images that we had shot for ourselves and we mailed that out to all the art directors. And all of a sudden we had a big income coming in from stock photography. We were selling our own stock photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we would, uh, we're always looking for different things to do because no matter it's such a weird journey because you never arrive. And if you do (laughs) arrive, if there is a peak, uh, you don't see it till you're on your way down. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. That's tragic. Yeah. I mean, I can, I see the peak now of the nineties, late nineties into the 2000. I I can see it now. But at the time I thought, well, why isn't everyone still doing this? I, I should be doing this forever. You know, but wow. no, it wow. was the peak. And, and I think creatives have a tendency to hold on to their, the direction and the way they do things too long because they find out, you know, that's, they, they have to hit the bottom. It's almost like, uh, when you have an addiction, <clears throat> they have to hit the bottom and I'm just plain not making any money and I'm going to lose my shirt. And so I've got to, I've got to change something. And unfortunately for a lot of creatives, that's the decision they make and that's how they do it. Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever uh, hit the bottom? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had had a a two picture deal at at Warner brothers working on getting a feature done. And, uh, in just like one day the door opened and a messenger dropped a box of stuff, uh, at the bottom of, uh, the the steps where I had my office and I went down to, to look at the box and it was all my materials from my agent that it was carrying me for doing, uh, feature work. And my agent dropped me the same day. Uh, I had, hadn't had any steel work for several weeks. And then 9-11 happened right after that. And then I got sick, which was a whole nother story. And uh, it just, it was probably the worst few years of my life. There's no doubt about it. Um, I should have let my space go sooner than I did because yeah. people weren't shooting on stages anymore. Uh, the, the guy next door to me was really a smart, he was a photographer, had a great business going. He was shooting for Macy's, making a ton of money. 
And uh, he came over one day and said, yeah, I'm moving out of my space. And I'm going, really? Why is that? He goes, I lost my client, Macy's. I said, really? Are you going to try to get other clients? He goes, I hope so, but uh, I'm shutting down my space. <laughs> uh, and I'm thinking to myself, you lost one client? You're shutting down your space? Yeah. But it was his biggest client. It was his major income. And he wasn't going to let himself fall into a deep hole with a lot of debt, you know? So he got himself out of his space, went and looked for more work and, and started doing some other things. And so he made an immediate decision that I'm way too slow about that. I, you know, I sat, sat in that huge space, you know, 4,500 square foot studio space. Uh, yeah. I was it's in. over in the, uh, the brewery, right? The yeah. Art, at the, the brewery. Huge space. I loved that yeah. space. It was just a big workspace and it was so beautiful. beautiful. Love it, but I held on to it too long, paying that rent for way too long. Yeah. So, 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 what other, um, what helped you survive that time? You know, it was the other streams of income. If we didn't have stock photography, uh, I had, I did a, um, a, a cartoon for a while. I had a single panel Sunday cartoon with my images, and uh, that made some money for a while. Uh, commercials started to work, so I started to do a lot of commercial work. Uh, directing. And then eventually when the whole, uh, Mark, you know, two, uh, that came out from Canon 5d, uh, yeah, 5d yeah, Mark II, 5d Mark II. Yeah. It's like, all of a sudden I'm going, you know what? I don't need all these huge cameras. I don't need all these huge crews. Um, I can do a little more guerrilla style stuff. And I had always been stuck in this mentality of, well, I want a big job and I want that big job to pay me, you know, 10 to $20,000 in creative fees and usage fees. And that's how I make my living. You know, I don't yeah. do little jobs because little jobs um, are just they're they just too much. They take too much time. I don't make much money. And the guy who bought my house um, several years back was a, a friend. I knew him. He was a creative guy. He's a director. He used to be a producer. And he was shooting at about fifteen hundred dollars a day. But he was shooting 15 days a month. Oh, wow. You know, and so yeah. uh, and I, I looked at it and I'm going, wait a minute, he's making a super good living, you know, uh, because fifteen hundred dollars a day. Plus, then he does editing afterwards if he's doing film pieces. And I'm going and he's super busy and he's, I can't say he always has 15 days a month. But the, the concept of you don't have to charge a fortune, but you have to find a good place in the market where you can charge a good, good rate but then you try to work as much as you can, and in that you can make a. Really Isn't that the the opposite though of uh, of as you get older and more experienced, shouldn't you be charging more and more and working less and less? <laughs> you know, I, it's fascinating because the creative industry is like any industry. There's Tom Cruise, and then there's everybody else. Oh, so you're not Tom Cruise? No, no. Nope. Why are you on the podcast, man? Why why am I interviewing you? Oh, we, should Tom, we should get Tom Cruise on this thing. So I snuck in here. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a matter of in my day, I was super uh, well known. Everyone knew my work. You know, you were at the top of your game, but it's hard to hold on to that. Every creative person, whether it's an actor or it doesn't matter who it is, every creative person faces this renewal of your career problem constantly. You have to reinvent yourself, recreate yourself and move ahead. And, and some can do it and stay on top, you know, and others can't. And so it was a lot of lean years making those transitions, but, but I made a couple yeah. of great transitions and, you know, and looking back, I mean, 
always been able to sustain our family and had bought a nice house in California, I guess. I always say in California, uh, I'm house <laughs> poor and I have a poor house, but that's a whole nother story. No, a beautiful house. You're on a half acre. You've, I, yeah. I love your, your property. Yeah. It's, I love our property too. So, but anyway, it's, I don't want to sound too down about it. It's just, it's, <laughs> here you are, I'm depressed over here. Jakey. No, you shouldn't be. It's, you know, the hard thing about it is in, is that when you go through the downs, you, you've got to react more quickly, uh, get another stream of income going as fast as you can, and don't look back and think it's going to be the way it was because that's usually mm-hmm. going to take your energy away from uh, looking forward and figuring out what it's going to be. What time, what, uh, when did you do the calendars? You were shooting those big calendar shoots. Talk to me about that a little bit. Was that also a part of the income stream or was that solely to stay connected in the industry? You know, the, the calendars, that's a, uh, the calendar. When I start, left Art Center, so we took out a loan for, for $13,000 mm-hmm. and I gave half of that to the office to rent our space. I thought, okay. we got all the money in the world we ha- need to start a business here. We have $13,000. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> and I gave 7500 of it to the office to be able to have the first and last month of rent. And then we had like five or $6,000 left. And Jolene, who's very smart, uh, she and I talked, we brainstormed. She goes, you know, you, you, can, you can't buy client. You can't buy, you can buy equipment and you can buy clients. So I suggest we buy clients right now. And so we, how do you buy clients? What does she mean by that? Well, what she meant by that is let's, we came up with a calendar. She had been shafted by this guy who had her make a calendar for the 84 Olympics. And so she had done all this work in those days. You had to cut out all the type. She had to lay everything out and she had all this calendar design. It had taken her ton of time. Then the person never paid her. So she never wow. delivered the artwork. And so she has this artwork and she goes, let's make a calendar out of your images. You shoot one image a month. And let's make it into a story. On the envelope, there's a picture of something happening. You're not sure what. You open it up, and there's the big image, and the thing has exploded or done whatever. And then on the bottom of the calendar, there's a little image that, that buttons it up, ties up the story, three-image story. Huh. So we, we took that. We printed. We found a paper company and a printer who would all go in together, and they would print it and provide the paper and not charge us. And then we put everyone's logo on calendars. So we got 5,000 copies of this calendar. <laughs> we mailed it out to just art directors, creative directors in Los Angeles. How did you know? How did you mail it? Uh, we got a list from what back then was called the workbook. The workbook had a list of all creatives in Los Angeles. Wow. And so we bought that list, got a bunch of teenagers that we knew through friends, came over to our house and we bulk mailed it. You know, we got it all put together and you have to sort it and do all this stuff. And we mailed it out. And we started mailing that thing out once a month. We decided, you know, if if you send a calendar out one time, then the person looks at it and they make a decision. It goes on my wall, goes on my desk for a while, or it goes in the trash. And yeah. I decided if, if it's going to go in the trash, I'm going to make them throw it away 12 times. I'm not going to do it just once. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so we mailed it out so once a month for uh-huh. five and- years. Oh, and talk to me about some of the some of the return. When when did you start seeing uh, some a return on investment from that? Almost that act? immediately. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the first calls that came in, but, but remember, I had developed a very distinct looking style at Art Center. I was building big sets. I was doing production way beyond uh, you know student kind of projects. I was spending as much money as we possibly could to create big sets, big productions. 
Yeah. And uh, so when we started mailing these things out, I, a person called up and said, hey, you know, we got this little project and I'm not so sure you're going to be interested in doing this because, you know, you look very, you know, we know you're very established, but we just want you to consider taking a look <laughs> at our project. We're like going, we don't have any money. <laughs> We're, not established. We're not established at all. Established at all. We'll shoot your wedding. We'll, we'll shoot you. Yes. Yeah. yes. You know, anything. We'll do anything. And so uh-huh. people perceived that we were extremely, extremely established from that calendar. And the, the, the magnitude of the images, how large they were and how because we sent it every month. It just made us look very, very, very established. And so clients came fast from that project, from that process, which is kind of the old adage that, uh, you know, good advertising puts a bad product out of business faster. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think we were just lucky enough. We had a good product and we, we stumbled onto a great campaign. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people today uh, that I've worked, uh, art directors I've worked with for years who say, I saved every single one of your calendars. Wow. That's and, amazing. Yeah, it was fun. And we'd put a little card in it, a little response card where they, you know, do you have a project? You know, da-da, you know, and then people would mail them back and we paid the postage if they mailed them back. And so we would get those coming in. Um, and those are fun to read, you know, people, wow, love your stuff. You know, one just said F you, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, you know, Stop sending me your art. Yeah, it was like the uh, troll of the uh, 2019. <laughs> yeah, right. Postage, yeah. dear yeah. sir. Kindly, f you. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> so, but so it, do you think uh, do you think that something like that could work today? You know, I've wondered before because I had a, a, a an assistant who sent me a card wanting to assist me. You know. And I got yeah. things periodically and he didn't put any great picture on it or anything. He just put us drawing saying, I lift heavy things, you know, and I thought, well, that's kind of fun, you know, so I threw it on my desk. He mailed me one of those a day for a month. Ooh. Wow. And one night I'm at the office and I'm going, I need, I need an assistant tomorrow. I, I don't know what, you know, we, I can't remember why we needed somebody. And I had these things all over my desk and I called him and he goes, absolutely. I'll be right there. You know, and I worked with him for years. Incredible. And so. Incredible. I think that repetitive uh, uh, kind of connection to the market is really valuable. Target a group of people. It was very targeted. We knew it was art directors. We knew it was uh, design, graphic designers. And we just kept mailing them month after month. And what happened, yeah, we realized – sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. I'm, I'm, yeah, keep going. And we realized what started to happen was that people were not taking the work that they had and hiring us to do the, the projects they had. They started designing projects like what we did. So they wow. started to come up with concepts. Let's come up with a concept but, uh, like what J.P. Morgan's doing, pitch that to the clients. So it started to be, drive the creative process. Yeah, I almost wonder if there's, there was a time maybe in the mid-2000s where uh, anything male kind of disappeared and email and digital kind of took over. But I almost wonder if there's more value in, in sending something physical now than ever. I think so. I when I do coaching with uh, different photographers and, and videographers, and that's one of the first things I set up with them is we start you start mailing out to an audience of people, you know, and mm-hmm. you because it, printed stuff and getting something in the mail now is unique again. You know, it's it is it's, you're right, uh, and it's a commitment. People realize that if you do it, you've made a commitment, and and you're serious about it. You want to be in this space. You want to work in this space. 
Fascinating. Talk to me about um, how, how you adapted when you, you mentioned the 5D Mark II, which if you're in the photo or video world, you, you obviously know what's special about this camera is that it uh, was the first digital camera to have a video feature built in that looked like film that uh, had a very large format soft sensor that uh, mimicked more or less what uh, film was doing. Talk to me about how that now kind of changed your mentality and opened up a new world of possibilities for you. Well, it was, it was huge because I had shot, I had directed, you know, a lot of commercials, um, never really DP directed. I've always, I always wanted to because my background was in still photography and in lighting, you know, and, but mm-hmm. it was like these huge cameras, big Panavisions, you know, we talking, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars for these cameras and things. And it was always a huge crew and, and I was, I just wanted to be a lot more run and gun. And so when the ca- the camera came out, all of a sudden I'm going, I've got in my hand here something that I can make a cinematic uh, looking piece out of, and I can do it with a handful of people, I, you know, three or four people. We can make a pretty amazing uh, commercial. Yeah. So it just opened up a whole new world for me. Um, I I started to DP direct more, so I would shoot and and direct, which was a lot of fun, um, and really kind of opened up kind of a different level. I don't think I never really shot again as, at as high a level as I did back in the '90s and early 2000. Um, I mean, I was really at the top of the agency games, and we we're talking about Procter and Gamble and Lever Brothers and McDonald's, and you know, it was yeah. really the top of the advertising game. I don't think I ever broke back into that, but I found a new world in there. That that paid more like that friend of mine who bought my house that was paying yeah. a really decent day rate. And if you get, you know, 10 or 12 of those a month, you're making a really good living. So it was more production video. You know, I can't say that I didn't th- do things like dental offices and, and, you know, a lot of different things, but it was, I know you can't say that because you <laughs> hired me to be a uh, second camera for some of those shoots. Yes, GP. So we had a lot of, no matter how much you don't want to mention it, that was there. <laughs> You know, I started that with East West Bank. They hired me to do all these uh, uh, professionals, working professionals, and then they flew us all around the country to shoot mm-hmm. dentists and and veterinarians, doctors. You know, I, not doctors so much. It was veterinarians and dentists? Yeah, mostly dentists and vets. Yeah, yeah I think that was it. But orthodontists. We had a couple orthodontists. Yeah, but I realized, oh my word, this is this is a group of people that need videos. Of course, everything was switching over to video online. You know, no one wanted to see it anymore. Everyone wanted to, uh, you know, and they didn't want to have to read it. They wanted to see it. And so I realized there's a great market here. Here's a group of people who will pay me six or eight thousand dollars to knock out a video. And it takes us, a, uh, you know, four to six hours to shoot. And and it, it, you know, became a pretty decent revenue stream. So talk to me about uh, break down your revenue streams now. So talk to me about uh, percentages. How much? Uh, are you making doing strictly photography? How much are you doing video? And then the different streams and where they're coming from. So we still, we have so many different streams. It's really fascinating. Uh, It is. And this this is actually, I want to spend a lot of, a lot of time on this because ever since I've known you, I've been just so intrigued and I've actually learned an enormous amount uh, working with you in the last 10 years about this particular thing. So this is important. Well, we, like I say, always look, maybe it's this quest of trying to find the next big thing. You know, but we still have a very strong stream with stock. We're with Getty stock. Uh, we still sell some of our own stock, not a lot. It's mostly with Getty. So there's money that comes in each month there. Uh, when I started the uh, when the DSLR market was coming on, um, I had just started a YouTube channel. 
a buddy of mine at an agency said, why don't you put a video up that talks about, it shows us how you work on set, just shows you the behind the scenes of you doing one of your crazy shots. So I did one, it blew up, you know, and I thought, wow, I'll do more of these. And so I started doing those. And of course, I always took a marketing approach to it. I'm going to have to monetize this almost immediately. I mean, when I had 2000 subscribers, I'm going, all right, I've got a, my goal is $10,000 worth of, of ad placement a month. You know? Oh boy. <laughs> I know it was insane. It was never going to happen, you uh-huh. know? But as I grew it up, eventually it did, you know, and as, yeah. as you pushed it a little further and further down, uh, you know, as it got a larger following, as things got a little larger. So the YouTube thing has become now a steady stream. I still do still photography. I probably spent 30% of our income is probably in YouTube. And then uh, more after that, it's more like, I don't know, 40% uh, video. And then the rest is still photography. How much, uh, what percentage is coming out of stock? What percentage? What? It, what percentage of your income is is coming from stock photos? Very low. I, I'd say it's more like ten to eight, eight to ten percent now. It's pretty low. Okay. Um, I okay. do have some deals though that we put in place. I have a company that uh, takes my images and sells real estate cards. That's been making money for me for fifteen, twenty years now. You know, oh, fascinating. Yeah, check that just comes in every month, and they sell them. I get a percentage. You know, I did a lot of those deals that hasn't that haven't made money. You know, mm-hmm. but you know, you're just always looking for ways to make money. I interestingly enough, as I shot video, I realized that Jolene and I had a great background in producing these still images. Because anytime, if you see the still images that we did in the '90s. They were larger productions than most people do on video today. Uh, just all the elements yeah. of, of sets and talent and makeup and the whole thing. So we started producing uh, for a director, and uh, I would DP. Uh, Jolene would do wardrobe and makeup. So we did this kind of gorilla type uh, type of uh, production, and we made really good money doing that for several years. And uh, mm. that was a, that was a positive revenue stream. Just another revenue stream, you know. Um, yeah. So, so, so how how large is uh, your YouTube audience? Uh, Four hundred four thousand now. So wow, it, it's a good size. We wish it was growing faster, but uh, it's growing at a good clipping, a good clip. It's been good. Yeah, no, that's that's phenomenal. So, talk to me about the power of an audience of slightly lower than half a million people. What do you do with that audience? Well, when that question seems like there's a lot of different directions that we can go with it. Um, I mean, first off, how about a financial I, direction? What's that? How about a financial direction? Let's okay. uh, let's talk about how you're able to monetize that audience. Okay, first off, I'll I'll just give this really quickly, and that is that I just I I wanted this channel to be about my journey as a maker, you know, as a videographer, as a, a still photographer. Um, I wanted it to be about the expertise I felt like I had built up through years of working in the industry. A lot of YouTube these days, you know, it doesn't necessarily have a lot of expertise. I felt like I had expertise and I wanted to share it. And it was yeah. very much about my journey. When I would do shoots and things I would learn or think about or were kind of revealed to me, that process, I wanted to create videos and show them to the audience. So that was the foundation of it. Um, and I also took some things. I have a series called The Laws of Light from a teacher I had at Art Center, uh, Charlie Potts, who just taught the basics of lighting. And I've tried to share a lot of those concept, uh, content there, those concepts there as well. But financially, 
it's it was a matter of there's several different avenues there and and within YouTube there's all kinds of streams you're working on uh, we we do downloads so we're selling downloads about how to do landscape photography how to do um, any kind of stop motion from, from YouTube itself or do you have a website that then Talk to me, so who's paying for what and where? Okay, so we have a website, companion website to our YouTube channel. Every mm -hmm. Thursday, well, now we moved it to Tuesday. So every Tuesday we post a video. It gets posted to our website as well. The website has a store on it. The website doesn't get a huge number of hits because between twenty and 30,000 hits a month on the website. Yeah. Uh, but okay. that's where our, our core followers are. Those are the people who are really slanted lensers, you know. They, yeah. they go to the <laughs> website. And I'll, in my videos, we'll do a, a uh, kind of a lesson on a topic. We'll do one with Trisha Zemp about stop motion. And I say, you know, if you want more of this information, you want the entire kind of everything from A to Z, get her download over at thusonlines.com. You know, click on the store. You can see her download there. And so, so you're selling courses. Selling courses. So we sell courses. So you've got on, on YouTube, you've got the, the teaser essentially, a little five yep. minute, ten minute video of kind of just behind the scenes making something. But if you want the full two hour thing, then you're selling courses on your website. Yep. I had a business okay. course we did for years. Uh, it was course material I actually taught at a university. So it was sixteen segments. It was a sixteen week course I had taught on business and I I record all of them and I sold that as a business package to people. And uh, so they could get on there and just be able to set their businesses up. It was very nuts and bolts to marketing to, I mean, it was a, it was a great course. So mm -hmm. we're selling courses. There's presets, you know, here's my preset for, you know, golden hour presets. And, you know, there's all kinds of, you can sell presets. Uh, we definitely have, of course, ad revenue from YouTube is one thing. It's not huge. I mean, it's under two thousand dollars a month for us still. Uh -huh. You know, yeah, that's that's amazing. It's so it's not it's not huge. People look at YouTubers and they think, oh my word, you know, YouTube must be paying them a billion dollars. You know, and it's just it's not <laughs> as much as you might think. Uh, yeah, you make more yeah, money on the other things you do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, so so are you making more money then on your on your website through your courses? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and sponsorships. I mean, we have long, ter long term sponsorships. Tamron Lenses has been our sponsor for probably six or seven years now. Yeah. And so we use their lenses. We uh, show them in our lessons. You know, we see them. They see us using our their lenses in all of our lessons. So they've been great sponsors. SKB Cases is another great sponsor of ours. They've supported mm -hmm. us, been a part of our experience and journey for uh, almost from the beginning. So the sponsorships now, we have equipment that we love, sponsors that represent that equipment, and we talk about it and use it in our lessons. So we've tried a few times. I got equipment that just wasn't good, you know, and you start <laughs> trying to sell that and show that. And I'm going, this just doesn't work. I'm going, we can't do this. It has to be something we believe in. Absolutely. Know, that's going yeah. to make sense for us. So that that revenue, I think that's probably our biggest uh, – kind of ours are like our solid sponsors they have a monthly or a yearly contract with us they're they're with us we, they're family you know we work together all the time that's um, fantastic we still get you know we'll get a call like we'd love to have this company would love to do a you know a pre-roll ad or you know can you do this or an unboxing here we get those kinds of requests all the time and so there are avenues there it's such a balancing act though because it's hard to not you don't want your channel to turn in what feels like an infomercial all the time 
You right, know? So right, I'm right. Still trying to create really good content that talks about how to light and how to create, and and uh, this is just the equipment that kind of helps us go down that road. Yeah. The good news is something like cases is, uh, <laughs> it's not, you know, it's like you need cases and you're going to get your equipment safely from one place to another. You need lenses, yep. you know, so that's, that's great news. Um, how do you reach out to these brands? How do you, how do you, who's doing those contracts? Is, is it you? Is it Julene? And how do you know where to go and who to talk to? You know, I, if there was one marketing tip I would give everyone, I know where this is going. Yeah. You do. <laughs> I'll bet you do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is the, well, I'll give it in twofold. Number one is uh, if you want to buy, if you want to find someone who's going to buy your product, then you have to figure out where that group of people live and not their homes. Where do they do business? Where do they congregate? You know, where do you find that group of people that you want access to? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways to do that. If you're a, a photographer and you want to be able to shoot with art directors, well, then there's art directors clubs. That's where art directors go. That's where they congregate. So you're crazy not to be a member of an art director club if you're a photographer who really wants to rub shoulders and create work with art directors. So are you telling me that it's not uh, wise to be a member of a photographer club if you're a photographer, that it's more beneficial to you financially to be a member of an art director's club? Absolutely. I mean, not that being (laughs) a member of a little bit and you answered correctly. What's that? I said, I probed you a little bit and you answered correctly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, photographer clubs are great. It teaches you new techniques. You rub shoulders with other photographers. But if you really want to get work, you got to rub shoulders with the people you want to hire you. Yeah. And uh, there's a a guy that I, Bruce Dern, I heard him uh, tell the story at uh, a show, photo show I was at. Anyway, he said that he went into the mayor of his little town and said, I would like to be the official videographer of Sedona. And so uh, he became the official videographer of Sedona. And all he wanted was the ability to a piece of paper from the mayor that said, I can shoot anywhere in Sedona and I will shoot video for you and put it on your web page. And he said, consequently, all of a sudden he was the person in Sedona and all the businesses in Sedona are now going, well, who's the guy that's doing all the video? And all of a sudden he's, he's making money because he's connected to all the business owners in the city because of that connection. Wow. So that's so anyway, back, back, way back where mm-hmm. I get yes. sponsors for the slant lens is I go to any and every video or uh, photography trade show. Uh, yeah. NAB, PPA, PP of A events. I go to Photo Plus and all of those people are there. And I, I know it's a valuable time for them. Um, I, they didn't go to that show, you know, so I could sell to them. They went to that show so they could sell to other people. So right. I just introduce myself, tell them I've got a channel. Here's my business card. Can I contact you when the show is over and just show you exactly what we're doing? And who are you looking for when you when you approach those booths? Are you looking for a sales manager? Who, who are you looking for? Head of marketing. Yep. Head of marketing. Head yep. of marketing. Yep. That's always the person. When you're going client direct, that's always the person. Yeah. Uh, they're going to make the decision for who does photography for them. They're going to make the decision on you know how they're going to sell their products. You know, so and usually the head of marketing is trying to find social media outlooks, you know, out uh, places to be able to get their stuff out as social media. So they, a lot of times they're very excited to talk to us. It got really easy to get equipment. I mean, people will send you equipment, you know, sure, I'll send you this three hundred dollar item if you'll make a video for me. And I'm going, you know, it cost me almost eight hundred to a thousand dollars to make the video. <laughs> right. And so, then I gotta make some money on top of that. Yeah. So it doesn't but anyway, I know a, a young student of mine who started going to outdoor shows and he had a great portfolio, very kind of natural, uh great looking uh 
stuff he's shooting outside on location. And so he started going to these shows, outdoor shows and equipment. Pretty soon he's picked up climbing rope companies and, you know, he just picked up a lot of clients doing those kinds of things by going to those shows. And so those shows are a pretty valuable place because it gets an entire group of people who are of a like mind or industry together in one place. And you can hit, you know, a hundred people, 200 people in a day. And it's a lot faster to be able to make those connections. Yeah. How much of uh, your success do you credit to being talented or uh, uh, a businessman? Man, I, I wish that I was a better business uh, person than I am. I really do. Um, I hold on to things too long, I believe. You know, when I was doing my cartoon, I ran that cartoon for like five or six years. It just wasn't making the money. I should have pulled the plug on it, you know, a couple of years earlier. Um, but I think, I think understanding that there's a matter of you have to make money and things have to financially make sense has really been a, a help to me. Um, having a, a wife who is very much very pragmatic about that kind of thing as well has been very good. Yeah, yeah, so she's I think, wonderful. I think you know what, Lars, you and I when we shop for East West Bank, we were in all those different professionals. We're talking about dentists and and you know all these different companies. And the number of those individuals who said, I wish I had business background, it was almost every single one of them. Yep, absolutely. They were just, they're going, Dr. Fuster that we talked about in, Sac in Sacramento, she's going, I had to go back to community college. I had a dental degree after I'd done graduate or after I'd done my undergraduate work, I had a dental degree. I went back to community college and took business classes to figure out how to run my class, my business. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's not uncommon. I think we, any kind of creative pursuit or professional pursuit, everyone is so in on understanding and mastering the techniques and the, the style and creating the, the, the world that we live in, but we don't do enough business. So I think my success has probably been because I have some business sense. Um, I think if I'd had better business sense, I'd probably even be further along. So. See, I, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you a little bit. I, I just, I, I've always been fascinated by your business sense and some of the things you're talking about, you know, making a calendar and mailing it to, you know, all the, uh, the art directors or, uh, starting a YouTube channel because you saw an opportunity there. I've, I just think that you've been able to take advantage of opportunities more than a lot of people would. A lot of people might just say, I'm doing photography. I'll show up for photo shoots and my agent's going to call me when there's a gig. And when that goes away, they stop shooting and they have to switch careers. So I, I think that you've been an incredible businessman. I've learned an enormous amount of business, not just photography, from working with you. Well, that's kind of you to say. <laughs> I, I, we have been very, very blessed in this process. There's no doubt about it. And I think the ability to change up and to look for new opportunities has, has really been the key to that. And to look at things from a business point of view. Try to analyze them and to move forward when that's the, when it's the time, and to know when to get out of them when it's the time to leave them. So, yeah. What uh, piece of advice do you have for young creative professionals, not necessarily photographers or videographers, starting out in the field? You know, I I think that that step that we took in the beginning of our career is probably the most important thing that we ever did, and that was you need a, a point of view. You know, you need some kind of creative point of view that is current, that fits in with what's going on, but doesn't feel like it's just, you know, kind of chasing what's been going on. So you got to have some kind of a point of view, but then you've got to advertise it. 
You've got to spend your energies. If there's one thing, one bit of advice I'd give to creative people, and that is spend 80% of your time looking for work and 20% of your time looking at gear and, you know, doing your work. And if you'll do that on a consistent basis through your entire career, you're going to get to a, you're going to get where you're going so much faster because most of us come in in the morning and we watch a YouTube video about some technique and we look at what the latest cameras are. Well, it's, it's flipped, right? Yeah. I feel like in so many industries, it's flipped where it's 80% looking at fun stuff and 20% looking for work. Yep. And, uh, and that really does need to flip. And know when to get someone, if you just can't show your work, then you have to get someone to do it. I mean, yeah. There's no doubt about it. You've got to find somebody. And I don't believe in the agency or uh, kind of reps route as much as I used to. I mean, I'll get a young filmmaker who comes and say, oh, yeah, I just got signed by this production company. And I'm going, yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm not so sure that's ever going to do anything for you. You know, I know it sounds exciting. You know, but the reality is you're going to have to make your own way. You're going to have yes. to get out there and find clients and you're going to have to start creating energy. When I found clients start creating energy, all of a sudden everyone wanted to be my production company. You know? Yeah. And that's when we started our own production company. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already yeah, finding exactly. work. So. Yeah. Do you, do you consider yourself a lucky person? I think so, I guess. Well, you know what? I The old Edison thing, I, I think we've worked really hard. And uh, I think in that process, if there's an opportunity that comes, if you're working hard enough, you're going to avail yourself of it. And I don't know if that's luck or not. Sometimes I think it's more about working hard and, and just keeping your eyes open and see what's going on. What did I tell you? Wasn't he incredible? I think he's incredible. You can find more about JP Morgan at or on his YouTube page, The Slanted Lens. Uh, just an incredible amount of value and information on his on his YouTube page. And then he's got his his courses, of course, if you <laughs> courses, of course. If you want to learn a little bit more, and uh, I think you should. If you're in the in the photo space or even video space, you're gonna get an enormous amount of information. We'll see you next week.